I might need some tissues up here this morning. It's going to be an emotional one, I think, but I'm really looking forward to getting into the Word with you. And um, as Riley said, this is my first sermon here as a T-shirt-wearing member of Sovereign Grace Parramatta, and it's a real joy. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lewis, and I, with my family, have been attending here now for nine months and a member of this church for three weeks, and they've got me preaching already, so it's great. <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and grab those and turn to a fairly familiar passage in a familiar book, the book of Philippians. We're going to jump in at chapter 3. Thank you. Look at that, my very own box. <laughs> and hopefully you can see me standing behind this. I'm not as tall as Riley. <laughs> Philippians 3, we're going to dive in at verse 17 and read down to verse 7 of chapter 4. I remind you that this is God's holy word. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Come on, church. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, as we sit together under your word, would you enable us not only hear your voice today, but heed your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first songs I ever sung as a newbie Christian went, Rejoice in the Lord always. Who knows the song? Again I say rejoice. And clearly the song is based on this verse that we're going to unpack today. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Now, at first when you read it, it's not very complicated. It's like the song, you know, simply rejoice in the Lord always. But if you're anything like me when perplexing circumstances raise their ugly head, 
my first response is not always to obey Paul here, obey the word. It's not always to be happy in God. Often my first response is to fret or to get into anxiety or worry. And so although this is a straightforward statement, rejoice in the Lord always, it's not always a straightforward exhortation to live out and practice. And so as we consider together this verse, and in context, we're going to look at it, and this vital theme of joy in the Lord, we're going to explore the following two things. Number one, the need to be happy in God. The need to daily rejoice in the Lord. And secondly, the way to be happy in God. For those of you who are taking notes, I've entitled this message, Happy in Our Happy God. So first up, the need to be happy in God. The theme of joy permeates, even saturates this book from end to end, from cover to cover. This is largely a happy book. The phrase joy and rejoicing are mentioned 16 times in just four short chapters. And although Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell, he's still rejoicing in God. And his deep desire in this book is for these believers, and by way of extension, all of us sitting under the word of God today, is that they too, and we too, experience joy in our happy God. This is why Paul joyfully exhorts us in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's on the screen. And then in our verse, he gives us... You can tell I haven't done this for a while. That's better. And in, in our verse, the double imperative, rejoice in the Lord, Again, I would say rejoice. Now, the reason why he says again and say rejoice, this is not just Paul being stylistic. Like, hey, it's got a nice ring to it. Rejoice, I think I'll say it again. Rejoice. No, clearly he's stressing the need for us to find our daily joy in God. And as we're going to see, this is a question of survival. Us singing, us thanking, us rejoicing in him daily. And so clearly Paul is super keen for these believers to be habitually and persistently, constantly through hard times and happy times, happy in our joyful God. Now, thankfully, this doesn't mean that we are to rejoice in the dark circumstances themselves. Phew, you know. I'm going through a hard time. Awesome, you know. Uh, I've been diagnosed with leukemia. How good I feel on top of the world. And for those of you who don't know me or my story, I'm not being insensitive at this point. Last year, uh, I might need the tissues in a minute, but last year, uh, on Natalie's birthday, um, I was diagnosed with AML. And for those of you who know, acute myeloid leukemia. I was like, well, what's that? And I was like, that's blood cancer. And my response and our response to the family wasn't, awesome, you're going to suffering. You know, it was... This sucks. And there there are many tears and a lot of sorrow, but I can say to you, by the grace of God, he calls us to be brave. 
And, and we knew and we felt that we were held by grace God's sovereign, kind, loving hands. And he gave us the ability through our tears, through our sorrow, through our pain to rejoice in the Lord always. And for some of you, this is your story, right? Currently, you're going through hard times. It's not rosy in the garden. It's not what, you know, it's not what Paul's getting at. He's not talking about us having a glass half full kind of approach to life. Sometimes you don't have a glass and there's only sorrow. But wonderfully, the Christian life is 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet, and that yet carries so much freight, yet always rejoicing. Not rejoicing in the pain, not rejoicing in the circumstances, but rejoicing in the one who is over all the circumstances and the one who carries us through those difficult times, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is driving at. He wants us to find our joy in him regardless of what's happening in our lives. Now, at this point, the question arises, yes, but... But why? Of course, it's, it's nice to be happy in God. It's a lot better to rejoice in the Lord than not to rejoice in the Lord. But, but why does Paul emphasize the need for us to be joyful here in this verse and in this passage? We need to dig around a little bit in the immediate context to gain some reasons why we're to rejoice in the Lord. And I've got three of them, many others, but I'm going to give you three. And if I was to summarize the main reason why we need to rejoice in the Lord, I'd summarize it in one word, and that is survival. Survival. So here's, here's the first main reason. Found two verses earlier in chapter 4. Paul writes, Help these women. Sorry, verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In this local church, these women, who Paul says, whose names are in the book of life, they love Jesus, they were born again, but for some reason, we don't know, they were at loggerheads with each other. There was some disagreement, and that disagreement, that tiff, was causing a bit of friction in this local church. This local church wasn't experiencing the oneness and the unity that they had ought to have been. And so in that setting, in that context, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And so in verse 2, he says, agree in the Lord. And then verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And, and those two are connected. The, the connection is when you're happy in God, it's a lot more likely you're actually going to agree in the Lord. True? But if you're not happy in God, then things will get up your nose in church because we're all broken, fallen creatures. Charles Spurgeon classically said this, People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or take offense. Their minds, I love this, are so sweetly occupied with high things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles that naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Listen to this. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Local church discord, marital discord, relationship discord. Joy in the Lord 
It's very practical, in other words. Should it not be so, he says? What is, what is this joy but the concord of the soul, the accord of the heart with the joy of heaven? Joy in the Lord then drives away the discords of earth. And so this is why we need to be happy in God. Because local church unity, local church harmony, depends on it. Persistent, pleasant joy in God is not just a cute thing to have. This local church depends on us being those who sing through the suffering, those who rejoice in the Lord always. Number two, so local church survival. Second reason why we need to be happy in our God is found two verses earlier, uh, after, in verse six. He says, do not be anxious. Now, this is a famous verse. No, no doubt it's kind of on your fridge. He said in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, notice his language here. With what? With thanksgiving. You could say with rejoicing. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And here's the glorious outcome and promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, although sorrow and suffering uh, can coexist with singing, sorrow and singing can exist in the life of the believer together, but stressing and singing cannot. Worry and worship are incompatible. And you know this. Fretting and rejoicing don't mix. When you're worrying, you're not rejoicing. True? But when you're rejoicing, you're not worrying. You're not fretting in that moment. In fact, interestingly, the, the Greek language or the Greek imagery behind the word anxiety is to have your mind fractured. It's to have your mind pulled to pieces and for those of you who are experiencing anxiety at the moment, this is how you feel. I remember after my bone marrow transplant, uh, you know, it was a year ago now, uh, I, was, I was plunged into an ocean of despair. I had so much anxiety. I mean, interestingly, when I was going through round after round after round of chemo, I was like, this is not too bad, even though I look pretty bad. But after the transplant, I, I was so anxious. My, my brain, I felt like, was just being pulled to pieces. So much fear and worry and anxiety. And this is how it feels. Your brain feels to be kind of splintered and fractured. And so when we do rejoice in the Lord, it gives us the ability, as Paul says, thanking him. And the result is peace of God. Because when we choose, sometimes it's just the act of the will. I don't know. Even in this pain, even when things don't make sense, I'm going to, through my own volition, to trust and thank. And as you rejoice, that's an expression that you're trusting in Him, that you're looking to Him. Even when you don't understand all the pieces, you can't discern His providence. The result is peace of God, which surpasses understanding. And I can tell you this is my experience, this peace of God. And so this is why we're to rejoice in the Lord always, because it's a question of survival, surviving the daily, even hourly temptation to be anxious. And so rejoicing in the Lord needs to be seen, church. 
as a warlike strategy that will enable us to survive the daily onslaught of fear and worry and anxiety. So, survival, local church survival. Daily survival against the onslaught of anxiety. Experiencing the peace of God as we continue to look heavenward, as we continue to thank him and and trust him. And third reason. And for this, I just want to step out of the passage and just share something from my story of last year. And I, I want to take you to my cancer ward. I don't like doing this mentally because it was horrific, but it's necessary because one of the things that kept me alive was rejoicing in God. I can't remember which round of chemo it was, probably round six. Uh, I spent over 120 days in hospital last year, and it was, it was not pretty. It was not nice. And, and I was undergoing another round of chemotherapy uh, to prepare me for the bone marrow transplant. And I do remember being really weak and, and fragile and very gaunt looking. And then on this one particular morning, I just dragged myself like, out of bed in order to make my soul happy in God. And I, I picked up my Bible and I, and I sat there in my chair and I had my Charles Spurgeon book on prayer. Um, I'm a bit of a cheerleader when it comes to Charles Spurgeon, I'm a bit of a theological hero of mine. And, and I was reading some of his prayers and I was, I was finishing my time of, of, of making my soul happy in God. When this nurse, this Filipino nurse, go to the Filipino nurses, I'm, I'm here today because of them largely. And this Filipino nurse came in and I'd never seen her before. She was a casual nurse and she saw that I was reading scripture. And that started a conversation, and the conversation was really fruitful, and it ended with me essentially saying to her, when you go home tonight, I urge you, I encourage you to ask Jesus to forgive you because he is your savior. Ask him to become your Lord and Savior. Ask him, just accept him into your heart. And she, and she left. About three months after, I was back in for another round of chemo, and this same nurse bursts into my room, and she's got this massive smile on her face. Like, seriously, she was like a Cheshire cat. It was like, the, the, the smile was like this here, that here. And she says to me, do you remember me? I'm like, yeah, of course I remember you. And interestingly, she wasn't my nurse on this date. In fact, she, she found my name, Lewis Brown. Ah, oh, I've got to see him. And she bursts into my room, and she said, that day, I went home that night and I, and I did it. I said, do what? I, I accepted Christ. I repented. I made him Lord and Savior. And I was sitting there. I, I could tell that she was being legit. Because her, it was on her face. It was her whole, whole demeanor and disposition was, was different. The, the joy of the Lord was emanating from her. Now, we, as a lot of you are smiling now because we celebrate, right, God's grace in her life. But let me tell you, let me ask you, how did that spiritual regenerative transaction actually come about? It came about by me, this frail, weak guy, cancer-ridden, dragging myself out of my bed to make my soul happy in Jesus. So that by the time this nurse 
who didn't know Christ at the time, came in, she could see, obviously, there was something about this guy. And that something's Jesus in me, making me joyful in that moment, even in the face of horrific circumstances. My point, thank you, Helen. Well, I think you've used those ones. <laughs> My point is here, this. This is the clincher. What if that nurse that morning would have found me still in bed? Woe is me, licking my wounds, being full of anxiety, uncertainty. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe in the responsibility of man. Maybe that would never have happened. This is why... We need to drag ourselves out of bed in order to make our souls happy in God. Because when we do, listen, church, our witness will become more winsome. The gospel will become more plausible when our lives have been radically touched and transformed by the joy of Jesus. And so as an evangelist, you know, I'm always after the the killer apologetic. The, the strategy, the argument that will just, you know, win the debate and cause people to consider Christ. But I tell you what, the great apologetic is joy in Jesus. And I wonder why George Muller, the evangelist, Bristol, England, who took care of many orphans, over a thousand orphans in Bristol, He said this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was, listen, to have my soul happy in the Lord. Why? Because it's a matter of survival, local church survival. This church will not survive nor thrive if we're a bunch of grumpy individuals. It's a question of personal survival against the onslaught of worry and doubt and anxiety. And our witness will become sweet. We will adorn the gospel when we are full of the joy of the Lord. Amen? amen. Let's be Pentecostals tomorrow. Let's say amen. All right, <laughs> uh, maybe not. Amen. Someone prayed for me this morning. I think went to a Pentecostal church. Used to be in Pentecostal. And I was like, I'm loving this. This feels like a real penty prayer. Okay, so we've considered the what. What what is he talking about? We've considered the the why, why it's critical and vital that we are to rejoice in the Lord. But the pressing, urgent question here, as we finish up, is how? How how do we actually cultivate and nurture this? This daily rejoicing in Jesus, daily being happy in our happy God. And this is our consideration, the, the way to be happy in God. Now, I've got Four pointers here that all begin with the letter P. I love alliteration, uh, but maybe we should have like 10 Ps because this is not an exhaustive list, but it will suffice. And and what I want you to know is that all these things that we're going to go through are interconnected and interrelated. So here's the first P. It's ponder. Ponder. Paul could exhort these believers to rejoice in the Lord always, because he deeply believed that joy is always located in the Lord. 
He's not only the object of our joy, but he is the ocean of joy. He's the source of joy. He's the reservoir of, of joy. Joy is in the world because our God is alive and well. There is such a thing as joy because there is such a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who have eternally delighted over each other. Father delighting in the Son, Son delighting in the Father, Holy Spirit, and so on and so forth. You get it? And out of this joy in the Godhead, they created the universe. So this world is full of reflections of that joy, his joy. And so this is why Paul can be so confident, rejoice in the Lord, because he's joyful. He's full of joy. And if it's true, and I believe it is, that we become what we behold, then surely beholding our God as eternally happy in the Godhead should arouse joy and happiness in him. Does that make sense? Practically, we will be more likely to be happy in God when we ponder the happy reality that our God is happy, that our Savior is a singing Savior. That's what we read in Zephaniah, right? He rejoices over us with what? Grumpy cries? No, singing. I love what Adam Ramsey says in his excellent book, Truth on Fire, in his chapter entitled, God is Happy, the Experience of Delight. He writes, I need another swig. How you picture God when he speaks to you through the scriptures profoundly matters. So true. It is the difference between thinking you're hearing from a God who wants you to change your life so that he can stand being around you. And a God who wants to embrace you so that your delight in him increasingly changes your life. It's the difference between the rotten stench of moralism and the fragrant aroma of the gospel. You know, if I was to say to you, come here, like Henry, come here. And, and as Henry looks at me, I'm, I'm kind of frowning, got my fish clenched, and he's kind of thinking to himself, I don't want to approach Louis. He's going to bash me in, right? He's going to smack me in the head. Now if I use the very same words, come here. Go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, man, I'm going for a Louis huggle, buggle, snuggle, cuddle. Like, I'm, I'm going. That's what I say to my girls, come for a daddy huggle, buggle, snuggle. Same words, but interpreted completely different because of his perception of my demeanor. If we, if we only see God, and I've got to be real careful here. Some of you theological people are kind of like, oh man, you're, you're treading on eggshells here. But if we only see God as holy, 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 which he is, and not happy, happy, happy also, there are plenty of scriptures about the happiness of God. Luke 15 verse 10. When a sinner repents, what happens in heaven? There's joy in the presence of the angels. There's joy in the presence of the angels because the creator of the angels is rejoicing and singing over a lost son, daughter coming home. True? We're told in Hebrews that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy and gladness. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. 
Jesus says on that day, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what? The joy of your master. Our God is not only holy, holy, but he's happy, happy, happy. And if you really believe that, if you ponder that, what's going to stir in your heart? Joy in him. But if you, like Henry, that first time around, it's like, man, I'm a sinner. God's going to smite me. He's grumpy at me. But if you see him as Father, Abba, joyful, happy, happy, happy. And by that, I don't mean some wishy-washy Hollywood kind of thing. I mean intrinsically, eternally, profoundly joyful in himself. And he's happy, happy. And he says, you come here, my one. You come here, my son. You, I mean, come on. We're going to find ourselves running to him in prayer. And when we come to corporate times of worship, we won't be like, oh, this is a miserable I'm like, okay, yes, you repent. But, oh, God, I'm so grateful that you've cleansed me, forgiven you, welcomed me. I think we need to ponder on this reality more. Because, you know, if I was to say to you, all right, list for me your top five attributes of God. Go, bang. And in your head, you're thinking, okay, yeah, God's powerful. Yeah, God's gracious. God's loving. Yeah, God, um, he's holy. But I wonder if God is happy is on the list. I don't think so. And, and we need to challenge ourselves. God is joyful. Okay, I went way too long on that first P. Here's the second P. Providence. Providence. Our church forefathers used to say, Deus pro nobis, which means God for us. And this is what the doctrine of providence asserts, that since we are God's beloved daughters and sons through faith in his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be thoroughly convinced that everything God brings, everything God allows in our lives is an expression and an extension of him being for us, not against us. And clearly, Paul was a man who believed this. This reality of God's good providence, even though we don't fully make sense of it. I mean, a lot of people have asked me, so Lewis, you know, what's your pearl of wisdom now you've come through your battle of cancer? And sometimes I just look at them and go, I got no pearls. I, I, I'm not too sure. But by faith, I know that God intended that for my good, maybe to make me a little more humble. Because preachers can be arrogant. Not Riley. <laughs> maybe a little more sensitive to the sufferings of others. Maybe. Hopefully. But believing that God is for us. Deus pro nobis. I believe will cultivate in you joy towards him. So I don't get this God but I'm cultivating this trustful disposition in you. This is what Andrew Murray, not the Scottish tennis player, but the 19th century Scottish missionary to South Africa, he writes this. What is of even greater importance is the cultivation, I love this, of a trustful disposition toward God. The habit, the habit of always thinking of him, of his ways and his works, even when they don't make sense, with bright, confiding hopefulness. And what comes out of that? Joy in him. When you trust that his providential workings are for your good, 
in this life, Romans 8, 29, conformity to Christ. Uh, I think we've got a bit of room for movement there. And that's what he's doing. And in verse 30, eternal glory. And so if we can, by faith, trust that his providences are good, even in the midst of dark, gloomy circumstances, I believe that will invoke and inspire joy in him. I don't get it, but I trust you, and I'm rejoicing in you. Amen? The third P, promise. So ponder, providence, and promise. In particular, I'm referring to God's promise to bring us safely home to himself in glory. And in our passage, which we read, we read these joy-inducing words. In verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship, notice the language of promise here, our citizenship, our home, our true home, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he going to do? He was going to do a number of things, but what is he going to do for his people? Verse 21, who will promise language again, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, daily reflecting on this wonderful future, wow, bodies like his, perfectly holy, perfectly healthy, and therefore perfectly happy for all eternity, reflecting on this glorious future, ought to enable us to obey what Paul says in Romans 12, 12, when he says, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Because we realize, right, our best life is not now. Our best life is to come. And God has promised. And he's given us the down payment for the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that future inheritance. We will be with him forever. What a glorious moment that would be. We see him face to face. And we'll no longer need faith. But we'll just see and marvel and glory in his goodness. What a glorious, glorious thing. You know, I had a friend at Bible college. I had more than one friend. In fact, I bumped into an old friend of college here this morning. He's here for the first time traveling from Bathurst. Where's Daniel? There's Daniel, Daniel Odell. And um, it's great to see you, buddy. And, and I had this friend, Simon. I'm not sure if Daniel remembers him, but Simon would spend a portion each week just to stop, ponder, and reflect on glory. That, that was his practice, just meditating on the wonders of heaven. And he was a joyful guy. And I, and I, and I ask you, I commend you to take a leaf out of his book. I'm not sure if we do this all that well. And, and if you need a bit of help, there's a, there's a fantastic little devotional. In fact, I've got it in my bag and I forgot to take it out. Where is it? Here we go. 50 Days of Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He's got a big, fat, whopping big book on heaven, and it's like way too big. For you nerds, maybe get that one. But for everyone else, like the 99% of us, um, this is so awesome. Daily reflections on glory. Because you know what it's like when you go to Kurong, and you see books on heaven, it's like near-death experiences all the time. And it's like, uh, maybe, but probably not. I just want some cash. I mean, I could write a really awesome book on, on heaven. Yeah, yeah, cancer, and I had this near-death experience. and Make a truckload of cash. But what you want and what we need is 
is biblical understanding of glory. And there's not many books out there or good sermons out there on the subject. And so this is an awesome start because, listen to me, and this is the pointy end of the point. The devil knows that he cannot destroy your salvation. Right? We're secure in the hand of Christ. None can pluck you from my hand. So what does Satan do? He seeks to destroy the joy of your salvation. And so he has his tanks pointing at your joy in God. And the way he does that is he seeks to drag your gaze, drag your attention off of glory and onto the here and now. So that we just fixated on the the here and now, the cares of this life. And in that, we don't have the joy of hope that Paul says. That's one of his main strategies. And so we, we need to combat that. We need a strategy. And this is an awesome place to begin. So promise, I believe, when we reflect on glory, that will stimulate, stir joy for God in our hearts. The last P. And I'm coming in for a close. One of those kind of endings, you know. The preacher says I'm coming in for a close. And you know he's not going to land a plane. He's going to go on for another 20 minutes. I'm not going to go on for another 20 minutes. If I do, shoot me. All right? The last P is preach. Preach. What do I mean here? Well, this is, this is interesting. The command that we find in verse 1 of chapter 3 where he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And the double imperative in our verse, verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always, is bookends. These, these, these commands bookend Paul's urgent plea and warning to not forget the gospel. He gives us one of the best explorations of the gospel in between these two rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And there's a profound connection. There's this relationship, intimate relationship between daily rejoicing in Jesus. I think someone mentioned it during the prayer time and daily reminding ourselves of Jesus' victory over our sin. They, they, they link together. I remember when I was a fairly new believer coming across a book by a guy called Jerry Bridges called The Discipline of Grace. And in it, he talks about the need to daily preach the gospel to yourself because we daily fall, or is it just me? Right? We daily sin, and, and when it's a besetting sin, it's discouraging. And the devil worms his way into your ear and your conscience and he condemns and he accuses you and you feel rotten. You don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord. And so at that moment, what we need to do is preach the the wonders of the cross to ourselves again and remind our conscience and remind the devil that on the cross, Jesus, the eternal son of God, momentarily became what? Isaiah 53, verse 3, a man of sorrows. And why? So that we would never, ever experience eternal sorrows in hell, but only ever taste and only ever enjoy eternal glory, eternal joy in the presence of our happy God. No wonder why Isaiah in Isaiah 52, verse 7, calls the gospel Good news of happiness. The gospel is supposed to make us happy in our happy God who is completely forgiving us. Past, present, future, sin. 
There's that Old Testament imagery of, of God putting our sins in a bag and casting them into the deepest ocean, forgiven, forgotten. He's completely accepted us. He's completely cleansed us. He's completely adopted us in the beloved as his beloved. And one day he will say, enter in to the joy of your master. And forever we will sing, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Brothers, sisters, rejoicing in the Lord is a question and a matter of survival, local church survival. Surviving against the daily onslaught of fear and the lies of the enemy. And my prayer is that we would be found pondering God, our happy God. We will be found reflecting on the glory that he's promised us. That we would be interpreting God's providence as kindness in order to sanctify us and prepare us for glory. And we'll be found ever preaching this priceless gospel to ourselves and to each other. Amen. So that we would rejoice in him all the days of our lives and find our highest joy in our happy God. How about we stand, church? Lord, may we be found so grateful for your grace. And Lord, now as we sing the gospel, may we sing with joy in our hearts. You are joyful. And Lord, I pray, oh God, that this word would have its transformative effect in our hearts. Lord, that we would be found rejoicing in you always. And I do pray, Lord, for those who are right now going through very dark times. Lord, they're struggling. and They're not sure how to make sense of the circumstances, Lord. All they can see is darkness and gloom and their minds are being pulled in various directions. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, as we sing to you, I pray by faith they would, Lord, choose to trust in you and choose to worship you. And Lord, would you, oh, benevolent Father, would you minister to their soul? Lord, would you stir joy again in them? And Lord, would they experience your promise of eternal, wonderful shalom, your peace which will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.